Welcome to the Rockbrook Church Podcast. Our hope is that today's message brings you hope and clarity for your spiritual journey. We love hearing how God is working in your life. Feel free to share any stories of how this message gave you a new perspective and hope. Email us at church at rockbrook.org to tell your story. Well, good morning, Rockbrook. Grace and peace to you in the name of Jesus Christ. May the God of all peace guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Oh, doesn't it feel good to be at church today? It does. I'm glad to be here with you today. When you woke up today, I would imagine, like many of us, all kinds of thoughts and questions filled your mind and uh, your heart. And I'm curious if at any moment, one of those thoughts was around the idea of belonging, what we're going to talk about today. More specifically, the question, who do I belong to? Now, I know that that might not sound like that's something that would be at the top of your list. You're thinking about all the things you need to do today, all the people you need to see, all the people you need to avoid, right? And, uh, and how your day's going to shape up. But the truth is, many people are beginning to see uh, that regardless of what you're going through right now, you won't get through it unless you know who it is that you belong to. And belonging is a powerful, powerful thing. It's powerful in each and every area of our life. I'll share an illustration of this in my life. Of uh, Years ago, uh, I got a motorcycle, a 1983 Honda Nighthawk 650. And I actually wasn't looking to get a motorcycle. Someone updated their motorcycle and decided to give me a motorcycle. I was like, wow, okay. And he says, I want to teach you how to ride it. And so this is not a picture of my bike, but this is a picture of the bike, the year, the model, the color, and everything. And he took me out in a parking lot and showed me how to ride a motorcycle. And then said, uh, I got my permit. And he said, all right, I'll take you on the street and show you how to ride in the street. And uh, we go out, and I'm following him. And we ride for quite a while, and we pull over for a break. And I say to him, man, I can't believe how many people you know who ride motorcycles. And he says, what are you talking about? I'm like, well, you're wearing a helmet and everything. But it's like, everybody knew you. And you knew everybody. And he goes, no, 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 no. That's just what people do on the road when they're on a motorcycle is acknowledge one another and wave at one another. I'm like, oh, okay. So I got pretty excited about that. And we get back out on the bike and we're riding and first motorcyclist come by. And, hey, what's up? Hey, why didn't you wave back? Hello? And he's like zooming. And so I'm trying to keep up with him. We pull over again. And I said, man, I'm not that confident yet. I can't keep up with you. And he goes, I'm trying to get away from you. You're embarrassing me. <laughs> you just acknowledge one another. Like just say, hey, that's it. And what I didn't know is I had entered into a community and a group with an identity and a language and a protocol and a way that we act with one another. And today we're looking at the next part of this series is the power of Jesus' family. And if you remember from a couple of weeks ago, we looked at five attributes of a church uh, from the book of Acts that help our church fulfill the great commandment and the great commission. And we saw that, and this is just right out of the outline from that weekend, we saw that the church is a family of faith. It says in Acts, when the church started, that those who believed what, G what Peter said were baptized and added to the church. 
And they did that because in the Great Commission, Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. If you're taking notes today, Jesus points us, oh, I'm sorry, and then we, our summary statement of that is that we are aligned to God's will when we're belonging to Christ's family. So that's one of the five attributes that we want to have, and we are aligned to God's will when we're belonging. But if you're taking notes, write this in. Jesus points me to baptism. That's the beginning of belonging. This is one of the most important things. When Jesus started his ministry, like hello, when Jesus started out on his journey to save you, that ministry began with baptism. In Matthew 3, uh, we see it that then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. So this wasn't just happenstance, uh, just wasn't like, oh, I happen to be in the neighborhood. No, it was an intentional step that Jesus went to go take. But John tried to talk him out of it. I'm the one who needs to be baptized by you, he said. So why are you coming to me? And I got to tell you, I'm so totally with John right here. Uh, in fact, people will ask me, why was Jesus baptized? I've had that question. I've read whole books on just the topic, why was Jesus baptized? And I've found some helpful answers, but I've also just really found that there are some things as a Christian that don't make full sense. I don't fully understand it. And here's what I've learned. I'm dumb and I need to just do what Jesus says. Amen, somebody. I don't get it. Jesus gets it. And if you're not there yet, you will be, just give it time. I don't see the whole picture. Jesus sees the whole picture. And I want his blessing. And I get his blessing when I just do what he says. And when we get to heaven, every single one of us will wish we had trusted Jesus a little bit more. Every single one of us will just wish we had done more of what Jesus said. And so Jesus said, it should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires. He says baptism is essential. It's essential. Essential part of the Christian life. He says it's an essential part of following me. So John agreed to baptize him. He don't, you don't argue with Jesus. Can you imagine being John? I would have been so nervous. Like, am I going to do this right? Am I going to say this right? I baptize you in the name of the Father and of you and of the Holy Spirit? <laughs> like, how does this work? But John did it. And it says that after his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, so this is what the word baptism means. Like, th this word, it's the only transliterated word in the Great Commandment and Great Commission. Meaning, it, it's very similar to the word they would have used. They didn't translate. It's very similar to the word baptizo, which means to dip under. Like, if you were to translate the word, you would say to dip under or to submerge or to immerse. And so that's the way we baptize people at Rockbrook is the way Jesus was baptized, the way the word means, the way they baptized in the New Testament is to dip people under the water. And after Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. God's blessing goes to people who are obedient to God. And I don't know where you are. I don't know what's happened in your life. We cannot change the past, but we can change the future. And here's how you change your future. 
you follow Jesus. And baptism is the first step of saying, I'm following him. You know, in the history of the Christian faith, there are people who are willing to die for your right to be baptized. They were willing to die over baptism, not because some pastor said so, not because I said so, not because Baptists said so, but because Jesus said, this must be done. But because Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples and baptize them. And Jesus came up out of the water and the Holy Spirit fell upon him and listened to these words, especially to those of you in the room who've never heard a word of encouragement from your father. He came up out of the water and a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. And just like we talked about last week in small groups, Jesus went into his ministry, into his life of service from this platform and this position that I am approved of by God that I am loved by my heavenly father. I'm his dearly loved son. And that is what he steps into ministry with. That is the platform by which he serves. And in fact, it's the first thing the enemy tempted him in. Oh, you're God's son, are you? If you're God's son, then do this. We'll talk about that next week. But the Great Commission says, go make disciples of all nations. How do we do that? He, we start with baptism in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So baptism, what's it do? If you're taking notes, it announces my faith publicly. In Acts, uh, the book of Acts, we see that Peter preached, Philip preached, Paul preached. Not everybody, everybody believed. But how do we know who believed? Uh, those who were baptized. You know, there are many people today when it comes to marriage uh, they say, well, it's just a piece of paper, or it's just a ceremony, big or small, it's just an event. We don't need that. Can't we just, like, be married before God, just make, like, say some vows to one another, no pastor, no family, no friend? Listen, there will always be a line of people to love you privately in your life. Real love is always a public commitment Healthy love says, I want people to know. I want your parents to know. I want your family to know. I want your friends to know. I want others to know that I've made a commitment to you. I'm entering into a covenant with you. I want everyone to know Lauren is not just someone I live with or sleep with. She is my wife. I love introducing her as my wife. Jesus does not want private followers. He wants public ones. He doesn't want uncommitted ones. He wants ones who are willing to make a commitment to him before others. This is why no one baptizes themselves. You can't just go home today and like dip yourself under the water and call that a baptism. No, you get up in front of some other people and, and you state your name. And you're asked, have you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And you don't have to be able to articulate a whole testimony about that yet. You don't have to be able to write a theological paper. But you say, yes, I have. Yes. And you look your family and friends and the church in the face. And then you are dipped under the water in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You're buried with Christ, raised to walk in the newness of life because baptism reflects Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. 
that it's not my work that saves me. I'm not uh, coming before you today to say, you know, I've been really a, a bad guy, but I'm going to really try harder to be a, a, a better guy. No, it's saying Jesus earned for me salvation. And the same power that rose Christ from the dead can live in me and I can be raised from the dead because salvation is not about taking bad people and giving them lists of things to do so that they can be better people. Salvation is about taking spiritually dead people and making them alive. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Colossians 2.12 For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized. And with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. Okay, let's take a time out. I want you to think with me for just a moment of all the division in our world and in our country. Okay, we are divided. Culturally, Politically, we are divided young and old. We're divided rich and poor. Do you know what baptism says? Baptism says we are all sinners. And we are all united by Jesus. And baptism shows that we're together, makes us equal. No one's special or gets out of this. Even Jesus did it. Jesus never asked you to do something he's not willing to do himself. He's not just the greatest man who ever lived. He's the greatest leader who ever lived, who didn't just come and give us speeches about what to do or just say, oh, you should get baptized and baptize people. He got baptized himself. He said, follow me. Baptism is not something we force on people. It's like at Rockbrook, we teach it, we encourage it. It's a requirement to be a member of Rockbrook, uh, but we don't force people to be members. It's something you choose to do. Just like the woman uh, in the Gospels I'm thinking of who, who uh, poured out all her life savings and washing the feet of Jesus with perfume. No one controlled her to do that. No one told her to do that. She had met Jesus and she chose to do that. And so we don't make people get baptized, but we are honored as a church to share in the picture of what happened and to honor baptism. Because when we are lowered into the water, it is like the burial of Jesus. And when we are raised up out of the water, it is like the resurrection of Jesus. And baptism announces my faith publicly. Baptism reflects Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. But you might wonder like me, Uh, Why does uh, God give the same prominence to baptism in the Great Commission as he does uh, these amazing purposes of evangelism and discipleship? Like baptism is one of the most important things because it symbolizes a great purpose of your life. And that is participating in the fellowship of God's eternal family. Baptism is so rich with meaning Yes, it declares your faith in Christ. Yes, it shares in Christ's burial and resurrection. But it's also a celebration of your inclusion in God's family. Baptism shows I'm with them. It's an act of initiation. You're saying I am with them. Let's put it this way on your notes. Baptism signifies my belonging 
to the body of Christ and the family of God. You might write that in. Now, just uh, keep tracking with me here. Think back a couple weeks ago when Jesus said he would build his church and the word he used for church was ecclesia and it refers to an assembly of people and uh, that word would not have been a new word to the disciples. He's saying, I'm building my ecclesia and an ecclesia was a group of people that's very powerful but individuals wouldn't have power apart from that group. So, for instance, the word body is often used to describe a people who are connected for a purpose. So, in school, you're part of a student body, yeah. Elected political leaders, what do they do? They join a legislative body. And so, your congressperson doesn't have power on his or her own. The power comes from who they are connected to, a legislative body, and that body has to work as a unit for there to be power. When they come home, they visit with their constituents, but they don't have power. They can't just do the thing. They have to do it in the body. You are not just a believer, you are a belonger. And when you're baptized, you're baptized into a body. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves and some are free, but we've all been baptized into one body by one spirit and we all share the same spirit. There are two great illustrations for the church in the New Testament. Time and time again, you see the church referred to as a body, like here, and as a family. Ephesians 2.19 says, Now you are no longer strangers to God, but you are members of God's very own family and you belong in God's household with every other Christian, a body, a family that you belong to. Now let me just pause and, and say this. I realize there may be very mixed feelings as you think about those two realities. You might say the church is a body. I don't like my body. My body's breaking down. My body's not healthy. You might look at your family and family you grew up with or your family relationships and say, the church is a family? Family doesn't really work. Family is broken. My body's broken. And there is absolutely truth to that. The world is broken. We are fallen. But what's the goal with your body? What's the goal with your family? The goal with your body is to steward your body. So you want to steward your body to align it to as much health as you possibly can. And then you live in the tension as God sanctifies you, you live with the promise that one day he will resurrect and glorify and perfect your body. The same with family, is we are to steward our family relationships. We align them as closely as we can to health. We make every effort The Bible says, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And then you live in the tension and reality that it's going to take God to fully align our relationships to health. So the truth is, it's the same in the church. The church is broken right now. It's It's a body that's broken. It's a family that's broken. It's made up of fallen people. And the goal uh, isn't to moan that 
or just put up with that. The goal is to steward the church and to align it as closely as we can to his will and to health. Because Jesus gave up his life for the church. And Jesus promises, this is an extra verse in your notes from Ephesians 5, that Jesus gave up his life for her, the church, to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. Friend, no other group on planet Earth, no other ecclesia, no other religion, no other party, no other gathering has this promise but the church. The church has this promise. And so that's why you don't give up on the church. You keep stewarding the church and working to align it to hell because God has worked through Jesus Christ to present her wholly to him without fault. So how do you live this out? The way you live this out is by belonging to a church, a local church. I said this a couple weeks ago. It bears repeating. When a child is born, congratulations. Automatically, you are part of the human race. But guess what? That child needs to be a member of a family. Uh, the same is true spiritually. When you're born again, you automatically become part of God's universal children. But you need to become a family member of a local expression of God's family. It proves that you're committed to your spiritual brothers and sisters. Not just in theory, not just in a way that sounds good, but in reality. You know, most often in the Bible, in the, when it's referring to a church, it's referring to a local visible congregation that is gathering like, you could, you could point to it on a map of the church that it was talking about. And God wants you to go all in with a body, with a family. You don't share a body with someone else. You don't have two families at one time. And he wants you to go all in with one family. A Christian without a church home is like an organ without a body. It's like a child without a family. So the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy uh, and says, I'm writing these things to you now, even though I hope to be with you soon, so that if I'm delayed, and so here's the purpose, here's what he says, you will know how people must conduct themselves in the household of God. God wants you to be in a, a house, a household. The household is the church of the living God, which is the pillar and foundation of the truth. So today, before we close, what I want to do is give one key ingredient to conducting ourselves in the household of God. This week in small groups, I'm, I'm gonna give you four things that build belonging and four things that tear it down. Because God says, if, if you're ever in conflict in a relationship, it's actually because of one of four things every time. You can point to one or more of four things that that's what's tearing down the relationship, uh, but there are actually antidotes to each one of those four that build a relationship back up. So that's in small groups, but this weekend, as we look at the church, I want to give a key characteristic of how to live in the family of God. So in other parts of life, a sports stadium, a school, a movie theater, a store, you see different generations and different people side by side all the time. But the difference with the church 
is you go to those other places to consume. Like you go to those places to consume an education or a product or entertainment or a thrill. Diversity in the church is different because you're going there to contribute in some way. To, we give of ourselves to find the life that's truly life. And so what's a key characteristic to make that work in a church body or a church family? I'll give you a verse and, I'll, and then we'll fill in the characteristic. It's in 1 Corinthians 1.10. I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ to live in, say this word with me, harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. A key characteristic of God's family is this word, harmony. Har what is harmony? I brought my guitar out to, uh, to demonstrate. When you strum a chord on a guitar, uh, for it to be a chord, it has to have at least three different notes for it to become a, a chord. So if you pull out a guitar and you strum just all the same note, well, it's not a chord yet. So I can strum, and you almost never do this on a guitar, play all the same notes, so I always have to think about how to do this. But this is every, every string is E. And this is E. It doesn't turn into a chord until you play three or more notes and here, that's an E chord. So in a band, you have people doing all different kinds of things. Someone's playing drums, someone's playing piano, someone's playing guitar, people are singing, they're singing all different notes, playing all different notes. How does it all work to where it can all sound good? It's through harmony. That's how that happens. Same in the church, is we're different ages, we don't look the same, we see things differently, we've had different pasts, different abilities and passions, we like different subjects in school, our heart breaks for different kinds of tragedies and trials and uh, different uh, kinds of temptations and struggles that people are going through, but we can still be united through belonging to Jesus by living in harmony. Romans 14, 19. Let's read this out loud together. So then, let us aim for harmony in the church and try to build each other up. Harmony is such a great way to think about the balance of unity in a church. So like, here's, here's the balance. This is unity. It comes through harmony. But you have two other extremes on the either side of this. So one of them is, the other extreme from harmony is unison. You know, if, if you were ever in choir class and you ever had to sing in prime unison, prime unison is when you say, here's the note, and no matter if you're a bass or tenor or alto or soprano or man, woman, or child, you got to reach up or go down low and hit this note. That's prime unison. Or uh, another type of unison is octave unison, which is what I was playing here, is it's all the same note, but in different octaves that maybe people can reach. Now, so that's one extreme. The other extreme on the other side of harmony is dissonance. And dissonance is when someone decides, I don't want to play that song. I'm going to play this song instead while you all play that song. Uh, I'm going to sing, but I'm going to sing in a different key. I'll play, 
yeah, I'll play that song, but why are you telling me when to play that song? I'll play that song when I want to play that song. But harmony and unity are the balance between diversity and division. And so dissidence is when you just... And unfortunately, a lot of churches sound like this. <laughs> because there's no harmony. All right, let's, let's pull this out of the air. What, is this, what does this look like? Thank you, Joel, for setting that up and making that sound good. Harmony is the balance we're looking for. So if someone says, uh, everyone should look like me. Everyone should dress like I do. Everyone should do what I do. Everyone should school their kids like I school my kids. Everyone should be passionate about what I'm passionate about. Why aren't they signing above the thing that I'm doing? Why don't they vote like I vote? Why don't people say what I say? You got to do this to be saved. And you say, hey, 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 that's not unity. That's not harmony. You're falling off into uniformity. That's legalism. On the other hand, if someone starts gossiping or criticizing or saying, yeah, I know he just preached a whole message on it, but you don't have to be baptized. You don't have to follow the leaders. You don't have to support the pastors. Yeah, I know they're doing that vision over there, uh, but we're just going to do our own thing over here. I know they're emphasizing that, but God's leading us in a different direction. You say, hey, 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 that's not harmony. That's dissonance. That's division. And you need to get in tune because God wants us to be of one accord. And that's what this Align series is about, is getting in tune together. Now, do you know who the supreme model for harmony and unity in the church is? Do you know who we look to to model harmony to us? The Trinity. Like the same Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that you're baptized in the name of, why are we baptized in their name? Because they are modeling for us as completely different, but completely unified as one. They are an example of harmony as you belong in God's family. So if you've never experienced harmony in your life as we belong to Christ, it begins with all of us here as we allow the love of God to reparent us into Jesus' family. I'm discovering in my own life that I can give you all the theory and all the verses and all the stuff to describe the love of God to you, but we, each of us have to learn what it means to walk with God and to walk with God as our Heavenly Father. And oftentimes we'll say, well, I'll take God the guide or like who'll just tell me which door to walk through or I'll take God the genie who could just give me what I need or I'll take God the wise old man on the couch that I can go to for wisdom when I want. But I have to be reminded, Jesus taught us to pray, our Father in heaven. Not just my Father in heaven. Not just my own little personal transactional boss of the universe. But our Father who loves and corrects and shows us the way together. Colossians 3.14 Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect, say it with me, harmony. Where do you get the power to clothe yourselves with love that brings about harmony? You get it from God the Father through Jesus Christ. 
I want to close with this verse. I think, I think this is the, it's the best verse of the day. It's amazing. And this is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body and both enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. The fulcrum of the power of Jesus' family doesn't rest on the fact that I belong to you and that you belong to me. The fulcrum of the power of Jesus' family rests on the fact that I belong to Jesus and you belong to Jesus and we belong to one another because we belong to Jesus. Because Jesus is the head of the body and Jesus is the head of the church and Jesus is the head of this family. Would you pray with me please? Heavenly Father, we pray in the name of Jesus, our Father. Thank you that we can belong to you. You made a way for us to not have to be alone, left to fend for ourselves, but you connect us uh, to a body that gives life. And Lord, we want to honor that. So Lord, we come to you today, and church, I just invite you to make... uh, this sentence, your prayer, pray this with me today. Lord, show me what I can do to support the harmony of my church family. Lord, show me what I can do to support the harmony of my church family. And God, we pray that our love for one another will prove that we are your disciples. Lord, we pray that uh, our harmony will show uh, that we know the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's in his name, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. We would love for you to get connected to what's going on at Rockbrook Church. Visit us online at rockbrook.org for service times, small group information, and other ways you can discover your purpose here on earth.